we will spend the rest of our lives <clears throat> seeking out either those who agree with what we have to say or those who need what we have to offer. Let me say that again. We will spend the rest of our lives seeking out either those who agree with what we have to say or those who need what we have to offer. We come to the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, which has been called the Gospel within the Gospel, because it tells us three stories of the heart of God. A story about a lost sheep, a story about a lost son, I'm sorry, a story about a lost coin, and a story about a lost son. But it begins with the basis of those stories, and I want to spend some time with the first couple of verses, because they pose the response of Christ, which is these three stories. It says in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, <clears throat> now the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near, by the way, the word sinner here in the, in the original uh, term um, has a couple of, of uh, um, um, connotative meanings. One is um, they, they have trouble with sexual issues. One is they're carousers. Um, and so on and so forth. So generally, it takes in all sin, but it kind of has that little tint to it. All right. We're coming near him. We're coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The eating part was the troubling part because back then, as now, eating with somebody was bestowing upon them acceptance. It was one of the ultimate forms of acceptance that you would eat with somebody. You're going to hear that term again in just a moment. So let's set this up because this applies very directly to the nature of what kind of church you want. And this is something of a transcultural, trans, uh, um, 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 chronological um, um, problem with any kind of religion, in, uh, religious institution. A couple of days ago, Becky and I got back from Israel uh, where we were invited to be uh, a part of a founders group of the first annual Jerusalem prayer breakfast, modeled after our own national prayer breakfast that that invites government leaders in, and, and, uh, um, and, and so we were glad to do that. Um, the capacity was maxed out, 550 uh, some delegates from 58 countries around the world. Um, it was a magnificent, by the way, pray for Jerusalem. Uh, I, I don't tell you that often enough. Psalm 122 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's our spiritual hometown, you know. Um, and Israel is our spiritual uh, home country. Um, and so um, please do pray for, um, for Jerusalem and for Israel. But beyond that, um, we, we landed in Tel Aviv and we were going to Jerusalem. Now, when I, when I go on trips like this, I, I, 
we always meet high officials, but that's not the conversation I'm very interested in because that's a very um, um, choreographed conversation. Um, the, the, the conversation I'm interested in is with the drivers. Um, and, and, and so if you've got a taxi driver or a van driver, you listen to them. You, you want to ask them what they think. And so Becky asked uh, our driver, said, now, do you live in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem? He said, oh, no, Tel Aviv. I live in Tel Aviv. I couldn't live in Jerusalem. This is, by the way, with both drivers, both there and, and back. They both said the same thing. Couldn't live in Jerusalem. Becky said, well, that's interesting. Why not? Too many religious people. And Becky said, well, tell me more. Why would you say that? He said, well, they, those religious people would count me a, as a Gentile because I don't go to all their religious stuff. Now, this is a man who was born in Israel. He, he is, he is, he's a Jew culturally, nationally, but they would count me a Gentile. A Gentile, by the way, is a non-Jew because I don't go to all their religious stuff. And, 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 so, and so Becky said, well, we've noticed we flew over with, from, uh, from New York uh, to uh, Israel with Hasidic Jews. You know, Hasidic Jews are the ones with the hats and the, and the, uh, the curls. Um, and, and so Becky said, well, who, who is they, you know? And, and so he was kind of quiet. And so I started to explain. There was, there was you know, there's um, the ultra-Orthodox, which is... The Hasidic Jews are part of that, part of the of sect of that. They keep to themselves, they have their own community and, 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 and pretty much ignore the outside world. Then there's the Orthodox, <clears throat> then there's conservative, and then there's a reform. And I mentioned reform and the driver did this, <laughs> reform. Reform is the most liberal, you know, <laughs> reform. Might as well not even have a religion for granted. Anything goes with reform. So here's a man, watch this, who feels rejected, but has no interest in a liberal religion that just accepts anything. He feels rejected, he feels like he doesn't belong to a people who really believe in God, who really want to follow God. Well, that sets up the dynamic of those who should be admitted and those who might not be admitted. We go on into the trip. We're on the bus going to the Knesset. We will go to the president's home the, 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 the next, after we get to the Knesset. Knesset's the, the legislative um, branch of their government. Uh, the speaker of the Knesset um, spent time with us and then we're going to go spend time with the president of Israel. And, and, and I hear this voice three rows back who's talking with somebody from another country about the problems in our country. This voice is the voice of an Amer another American religious leader that you would recognize if, if I told you the name. He'd been, heard, he'd been hearing the, the, uh, or, or reading the national media about, about our little conversation here. And this is what he said. As he, as, he, as he obviously has me, you know, maybe in, he intended me to overhear this. There's one on the trip who believes it's okay for gays to be in the church. I just kind of smiled. 
And I thought to myself, yeah. We even invite backstabbers if you ever want to come. <laughs> here's, here's what's important to note. There's a legitimate conversation about people who have been left out and whether or not that's okay with us. There's a legitimate conversation because there's a, there's a balance that we want. On the one hand, we don't ever want to reduce the holiness of God. You can't reduce the holiness of God. You can't, you can't take what God has called sin and call it not sin. That's, that's, that's not up to us to make that judgment. We never want to do that. I had a very, very good letter um, this week uh, from someone who I've known a long time. I have huge respect for her. She's a very wise woman. She was, uh, she was part of my coming here. She, she was part of the team that, that brought us here to Northland 30-some years ago. And she said, I love what our church has been doing to reach out. I love it. But there's something I need answered because it says in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you all know this, right? You all know this, uh, this chapter where they're dealing with sin in the church. And there's a, been an outrageous uh, event in the church. Um, and so, and so um, uh, Paul is saying, um, I wrote you, this is verse 9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean the immoral people of this world or the covetous or the swindlers or with idolaters. For then you would have to go out of the world. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler. <laughs> or a drunkard, or a swindler, watch this, not even to eat with such a one. There's that, there's that word again. Not to, not to give a signal that you, you even accept them. So here was her very legitimate question. How do you reconcile bringing in everybody just like they are and having the purity test that many religious people have, having the purity test. You know what I answered her? Got no idea. This is messy. There's a book out, by the way, with the title Messy Grace. Messy Grace. This isn't easy. But I know a few things, and I want to tell us a few things that have to directly to do with this chapter and what they hear from the scribes and the Pharisees who accuse Jesus of getting too close to sinners. The first thing I know is this, that this chapter was written to a church of people who lived life together. You can't do a purity test on people you don't know simply by categories. This church at Corinth, I can guarantee you, was small enough all of them knew and had relationships with each other in their life. Otherwise, what would be the big threat of not eating together? 
The fact is they ate together every day. They were a part of each other's lives. So lesson number one, if you're going to do any kind of judgment, you had better know that person intimately. You have to know their story. You have to live their life with them. Or you will simply not be accurate in your appraisal. Here's lesson number two. On an institutional level, if we start saying to a group of sinners, no, you're not welcome here. Then we got to go to the other groups named in the Bible. <laughs> now here's a problem. You go through all those other groups named in the Bible, do you know how many people would be left? None of us. Exactly. Exactly. So somehow we have to figure out how to move together toward the holiness of God by, watch this, conforming our lives to Jesus who showed us the example of what holiness is. Holiness is not, is not harshness. Holiness is love. It says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, this is, this is, it says, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We've got to get out of this realm of, of competition as to who's the holiest. You know, who can, who can, who, uh, I'm more righteous than you. What is that? Isn't it curious that the opposite of win is lose? Watch this. But the opposite of lost is found. Our territory is in that second realm. Our territory is in that second realm. And so as we go to talk about the rest of this parable, and we hear these other stories, I want us to understand that what we do does not reduce the holiness of God, but it activates the compassion of Christ. This is what Christ says. Starting in verse 3, so he told them this parable, saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep, and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which was lost until he finds it. Now stop right there. I want to talk about the who. First I want to talk about the you who, and then I want to talk about the them who. All right? The who, the identity. Because what he says, who among you, He's talking about, tell me about your identity. Tell me, tell me about who you are. Who among you? Now, at first, it sounds like a rhetorical question, like a question that answers itself. Like it's so, it's so logical, it's so evident, you don't even need to answer it. Who among you, 
who, who have a hundred sheep and lost one. Now, let me tell you something about shepherding. First of all, shepherding is tough work because sheep are dumber than rocks. There's nothing intelligent about a sheep. Uh, and I can go on and on. Read Philip Keller. He, he, he was a shepherd. He can, tell, he can describe sheep. Dumber than rocks. So, so but, but a shepherd lives with a sheep 24-7. And it's, it's no trick at all to learn the individual personalities of a hundred sheep. Do you know animals have personalities? Those of you who have pets know this. They're, they're, you, you know the, the personalities. And, and you can pretty well tell the one who's going to get lost. You, if you have children, you may not have pets, you have children. If I said, is there one of your children more likely to wonder his way lost? You could shout his name or her name immediately. Who is the most in danger of wondering their, their, their way lost and getting in trouble? You would, sh you would shout their name. You know your children. A shepherd knows his sheep. And so that takes it out of the whole math. Well, it's just one sheep. Because he knows his sheep. And the sheep knows him. Who among you, in that kind of circumstance, wouldn't go after him? Who among you who has a pet that he loves? Say you have a dog and, 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 a, and a, a hurricane is coming and the dog spots a squirrel and he takes off after the squirrel. Are you just going to say to yourself, well, a hurricane's coming. I'm going to go inside the house and get under the stairs like I'm supposed to. Get in an enclosed, I'm going to get in the bathtub. Like you're going to go after that dog because that's your dog. Who among you? wouldn't leave the safety and the common sense of where you're supposed to be to go after the one you love. Who among you would be driving down the street and you see a friend by the side of the road whose car is broken down, but you're in a hurry. You got to get someplace. So you drive by. Who among you would not stop for that friend? Now, there are a few of you who might say, I wouldn't. Serves them right. You know, people got, you know, you can't be going rescuing everybody, but you know, you make your bed and you lay in. You know, there's a few hard-hearted folks, but eh, kind of most of you. Who among you could find themselves in New Orleans at Mardi Gras time, come back to the hotel and learn your 12-year-old daughter has chosen this time to go out and explore the city at night? Who among you wouldn't go after that girl and search that city high and low until you found that girl? In a sense, Jesus is saying, wouldn't anybody do this? But there's another sense in which it's an invitation. Not who among you would, who among you will because you all know people who are lost. You all know people who have wandered away and gotten themselves in trouble. You all know people who had once had a life that made sense, and now they're not making sense anymore. Who among you will go after them? Now, this has a cost to it. And that's why this 
This is, a, this is a question. It's a real question. Because it's a hassle going after these people. It really is. It costs you. Other people will misunderstand. The rest of the flock will go, what, our shepherd left for an idiot? What are we? You know, you'll be accused of dereliction of duty and worse, Jesus was being accused. He said in another part of Luke, he said in Luke 7, 34, he said, the son of man, as Jesus, has come eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard with a, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He was eating with these people. He was befriending these people. And all of a sudden, he was one of these people. He, would be, he was, in their minds, doing the thing, same things they were doing. He was complicit in their sin. And therefore, he was linked with them. Better watch it when you're hanging around with sinners. Because the righteous people will accuse you. Better watch it. Better watch it when you're hanging around with sinners. Because you'll find yourself in situations that make you very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable because their values aren't your values. And, 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 and you know, the whole conversation is going, it's difficult because that's not where you live and that's not what you believe. But that's the cost of proximity. It costs you to do this. Better watch it. Better watch it. Better watch out when you're hanging around with sinners because in your heart there will always be an ambivalence. Should I be here or should I be back with the 99? I mean, that's my job. Am I risking the 99? Could I just tell you, there's a pretty good chance unless there's other shepherds, and there will be, who are, who are kind of looking out. The 99 can nibble their way lost as well. So there's always this, I don't even know if this is a good use of my time. I, I don't know if I shouldn't be doing what, what, I was, what I was meant to do, what my job description is. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. It's messy dealing with the world like it is. The second who, I want to talk about the second who, the who them. The who them, not just the who you. The who them. Do you understand that a sheep, like a person, doesn't just stand up one day and says, I've had it with a shepherd. I'm out of here. All right? I'm just sick and tired of being led pastor to pastor. Certainly there's more than it. No, that's not what he does. Those of you who have been in the Middle East, those of you who have been in Palestine, those of you who have been um, in Israel, you know that it's a desert. The country is a desert, for crying out loud. And they don't have just rich pastures, acres of grass. They got a tuft here and a tuft there and a tuft here. That's how a sheep gets lost. 
Do you ever, when you, when you, you, know, when you were with, younger with your mama, and, and you'd say, could I go, could I go uh, explore um, the carnival or explore the, the, the whatever? And your mom would say, okay, but stay where I can see you. All right? Now that presupposes that a kid is going to be looking at, can, can my mom see me? Can my mom see me now? Can my mom see me now? <laughs> How many kids do that? How many adults do that? A sheep just never raises his head and goes, oh, there's another tuft. Oh, there's another tuft. Oh, there's another tuft. At the end of the day, where did I go? How did I end up here? How many people do you know who are wondering, how did I end up here? They never meant to leave God. They know what's a better life for them. But they kept trying just to satisfy that appetite, whatever that appetite was. And they nibbled their way lost. That's who they are. But even more important is that we realize that's who we are. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. One time I heard this story about this man that was talking to this little boy. And he's trying to find out about the little boy and what the little boy thought about himself. And he said, let me ask you a question. He said, if I took all the little boys in the world and I painted all of them who were good, I painted them green, and I took all the little boys who were bad and I painted them red, what color would you be? And the little boy thought for a minute and he said, I'd be striped. We're striped. All of us have this condition. Isaiah puts it like this. Isaiah 53, 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way or her own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. You know that image of that shepherd with that lamb over his shoulders? That's the image of the cross. He carries us when we're lost. He carries us when we can't carry ourselves. And so when you talk about these folks who are lost, they're a part of you. They're but for the grace of God. And they need to hear from people who have their own struggles and are glad to admit it because it gives them hope. Another question is the where. You know what it is to be lost? <laughs> it's, it's the whole definition of, of when you lose something is it's not where you're looking. It's where you're not looking. 
It's pretty important, pretty important to understand that to respond to the lost, you got to go where they are. I heard a story once about a guy who had lost his keys, and he was looking for his keys under this lamppost. And, and somebody said, what would you do? He said, I lost my keys. He said, so you lost them here? He said, no, I lost them over there. He said, why are you looking here? He said, the light's better here. <laughs> we actually have to go where they are, at least maybe geographically, but maybe just biographically, to hear their stories so that we can be where they are for a second, so that we can lead them back, so we can have Jesus carry them back. There's something I've learned over the last year. I'm blind to a lot of stuff. I, 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 you know, when this Pulse event happened, I just was totally blind. I, I, I had no relationships in that whole community and, 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 and was totally blind to their vulnerability and, and how they felt rejected, especially by the church. And, and, and so I, I just never, it just never crossed my radar screen. Never did. It doesn't mean it's not real. It just means I haven't looked there. I keep looking for everybody to come here. You know? I wish you'd come here. The light's better here. And so I'll look for you here. Except that's not where they are. The fact that we don't see them is a huge problem. It's kind of like the, the army specialist who bragged there's not one recorded case of where camouflage has worked. Think about that just for a second. Does that argue for the failure of camouflage or the success? Think about that. I don't know of any people among us who have huge public sins is that because there aren't any? Or you haven't heard their story? The scripture says we need to go to them because God wants them. See, here's, here's a, a in, in, in Luke chapter 14, it says this. Wait a minute. You got, yeah, go to Luke 14, will you? Luke 14 says this. It has, that, has the story about the, the, the man who was throwing a big banquet. And all of those who would ordinarily be invited started sending in excuses. Kind of like church. Ah, see, I just went to Madeline, didn't I? Yeah. I can't get to church this weekend. You know, the Father is inviting you for this banquet of spiritual fulfillment. Uh, yeah, but I got, I got this, okay? Can I just tell you, it ticks him off a little. Uh, you got you to hear the story. Uh, the whole story is, he, it says, but they all began to make excuses, is verse uh, 18, 
And the first one said, you know, I bought a piece of land. I need to go and look and look at it and please consider me excused. And, 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 and the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. Ouch. See, if you say, if I don't go to church, nobody will miss me. You're looking at the wrong nobody. The host misses you. If you say, I, I can't tune in this, this weekend because I got, I got, you know, I, I got a lot of stuff. I, the host misses you. Became angry and ordered his servant, look at this, Go out quickly to the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. All of those were unacceptable to regular society. All of those were marginalized people. God wanted them in his house. I know, as I said before, it costs a lot not just to go to the 99, say, I'm here, boys. What do we do? Let's hang out. Let's eat. I know it takes a lot to go out and risk being called everything from a, you know, a, well, let's not go there. But there was one final command that Jesus gave us. One final commission. And this was it. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why do we do this? Let me just close with this. In verse 7, it says this. It says, keep going, verse 7, 1 to 7. There you go. Okay. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Now, repentance is part of the deal, right? We're all in this because we want to do what God wants us to do. So we'd never back off on repentance. Because this is about God, this is not about us. This is about being remade in God's image. This is never about him being remade in our image. And so that one sinner who repents, then over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Here's the question. In the movie Collateral Beauty, don't ever watch that movie without a box of Kleenexes. Holy cow, that drags you all over the place. But it opens up with this question. What is your why? What is your why? Why did you get up out of bed this morning? Why do you do what you do? Why do you hang around the people you hang around? Why do you dream what you dream? What is your why? 
Here has to be the answers for those who have an eternal home in heaven. My why is not down here. My why is up there. This is not about a competition to impress holy people. This is about a party that we want to see happening in heaven and we want to be a part of. Our reference point is not how bad somebody is or how good we are or what even we want for the church. Our reference point is what is the heart of God. And the heart of God is to redeem the world. And there's only one way that can be done. And that is to go to people and remind them, you know, you're as valuable to the shepherd as everyone else put together. Your life is more valuable than all of the world put together because Jesus came for you. He just sent me. That's what we need to remind people of. Would you stand for a prayer? God, let our hearts burn within us for those that are lost, for those that are leading lives that they know aren't close to you, for those that want to have what is good and new and renewing and 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 loving and holy and send us make these people visible to us remind us we're the only invitation they will probably have back to God. Take these words and apply them to our minds that we might not grow shallow, to our hearts that we might not grow cold, and to our feet <laughs> that we might be doers of the word and goers of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.